This is a special broadcast of At the Table. I'm Jared Rizzi, the host of this new podcast. I am so excited to be sharing this with you, and we are having a conversation together. Watching this debate, this first night together with the Democratic candidates in Miami, seeing 10 of them go up there tonight was, I wish I could say it was inspiring. I wish I could say it was interesting in some phenomenal or fundamental way. It was tedious. It was difficult to pay attention to. I think at times it was a reminder of how far apart we all feel. It was exactly the opposite of everything that I wanted it to be tonight. I was hoping, and we got glimpses of this throughout the evening, I was genuinely hoping that we would have a moment where people would get past those 60-second blurbs, be real for half a moment, and actually push through these sound bites, these issues where, frankly, nobody actually learns anything. What we saw instead over and over again was a strict adherence to the 60-second time limit and adherence to the rules on the stage. And maybe that's what it has to be when you've got 10 candidates who are trying desperately to make themselves heard, including, I think, more than anyone else, John Delaney, who was desperate to get some time uh, and was constantly disappointed by the moderators who were thankfully doing their job. Um, But what we saw instead was somewhere in, I think, far less than that. We saw people who were willing to play by this system at this point in this moment. And I don't know how much we actually learned tonight. I will say this, in terms of who did well, in terms of who was impressive, I think Senator Warren clearly came out and did what we expected her to do tonight, which was dominate the field, show her strengths, explain the plans that she has, and the moderators treated her exactly in that way, that she was the one to beat. She was the one who, frankly, they were looking to uh, put as the center of every conversation. They would constantly come back to her. That, for sure, was an issue that I thought, it may have it may have helped her in a big way, but it wasn't surprising. There was one surprise that I thought, and and this is, and I'd be interested in your comments. I'm going to try to keep a running tab of both what's in the the Zoom window here, where several of you have already chimed in, or on Twitter. And following both of those is going to be impossible. So please forgive me for uh, <laughs> a lack of ability to do all of that at once right now. But I think the the person who was the biggest surprise was. Former HUD Secretary Julian Castro. Um, We saw in him someone who was willing to condense difficult issues into something manageable, make an emotional connection with the audience, and also respond to the people on the stage with a, a measure of humanity. And I do think that's partly because the nature of his strength came at the one issue that was the most emotionally impactful. And I'm talking about immigration. There are two parts of this that I think are important. One, the fact that immigration was the only time where you actually saw people responding in a real and human way. But two, it was also the time in the debate tonight, and again, this was the last two hours on NBC, the first of two in Miami. It was the first time where we really saw candidates 
recognizing and addressing Donald Trump by name. I don't know if you noticed this, by the way. I was keeping track of this among, among the several notes that I was taking throughout the night. Aside from Senator Klobuchar, who referenced Donald Trump repeatedly throughout the evening, almost no one was mentioning Trump on most of the major issues. That necessarily wasn't a, a surprise for me. Because I thought that there would be some kind of effort to move away from being the people who would most want to acknowledge Donald Trump in the room. It was a surprise, though, when you see how these candidates decide to frame the issues. And he was most often recognized specifically on the question of immigration. So let's talk about immigration. We have this moment where we have these two uh, 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 these people who have tried to come through a port, uh, a port of entry, they were denied. The United States not following its own asylum rules. They try to cross into Brownsville, Texas, uh, via a river, and they drown. And we have this image that is indelibly part of our national conversation. It was referenced for 90 seconds, maybe two or three minutes at the most, as part of this evening tonight. That's a shock for someone who, frankly, is, is trying to make an emotional impact. I was astounded that candidates didn't try to make a, a deeper impact on that issue. And I wonder what you think. Again, at Jared Rizzi on Twitter or, of course, here in the Zoom window where I know I'm going to try really hard. Are you saying the quantity of candidates wasn't the issue and not the quality? Actually, I think it was both, frankly. Um, I think that, yes, it's really hard to do a debate with 10 candidates, but even more, um, we saw that a lot of these candidates aren't operating on the same level. Like I said a few moments ago, you've got Senator uh, Warren and former HUD Secretary Castro, I think, were in the top tier. I think Senator Booker also did very well tonight. Um, I, it's kind of useless and pointless to do ratings, but I'll do it just because I think it's it's just a reference, not so because I think this is an objective measure of reality, just so that you as a human being with your own opinions and ideas can know where I'm coming from. I think um, Senators Inslee uh, and uh, former Congressman O'Rourke did about what we expected. They they kind of passed. Um, uh, I would say that Bill de Blasio did better than I expected him to do, but that's because my expectations were such in the basement for the, the mayor of New York City that, frankly, I can't imagine them being much lower than they actually were for him. Uh, he did have a weird night, and we were watching this uh, with, some, with some friends tonight, and there were several people who acknowledged one of the strangest moments in the debate. And if you caught this, I, I'd love to, again, I'd love to know what you thought of this, saying we all know that he's the father of, of a young black man, that, that Dante, his son, is, is, is you know, half black, and that he has talked about that a lot. He also had a terrible moment on Twitter the other day where he tried to show a, a tweet or a, a text interchange between him and his son, which could not have been more fake. So it's a mixed bag the way he's using his son on the campaign trail so far. But there was a moment in the debate tonight where he said, as as a father of of a black son, as the only one of who has that experience on the debate stage tonight, and talking about the question of police, talking about the question of criminal justice reform, it landed a little flat here in this room, and maybe that's just because we're all in Washington, and it's a cynical way to think about these issues, and we're all jaded and evil people, as I'm sure you know already. But 
I actually found it a little bit endearing because he is willing as someone who is tanking so much worse than he ought to be doing in this debate and who has a, such a higher estimation of his own political uh, uh, acumen than than most people would give him credit for. Uh, he is willing to to be so obsequious and to put his family out there. I give him a little bit of a, of a credit just for, for being that uh, uh, falsely humble, uh, maybe. So so de Blasio gets a, a neutral. And then and – then, Negatives, I say Klobuchar, she was the one who was the most vociferous, the most attacking of Donald Trump, and I don't think it did her any favors. Um, if we talk about uh, Tim Ryan, he had a couple really bad interactions, including one with Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, where he just came out looking much worse for it. Not knowing the difference between al-Qaeda and the Taliban in 2019 is uh, it's 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 the kind of thing that gets you swept off the debate stage. Let's hope. Um, and then I think no one came off worse than Congressman John Delaney, who was basically begging for anyone to pay attention to him the entire night. And again, I, I thank the moderators for their courage uh, in light of in light of that uh, that issue. Um, yeah, I'm I'm just I'm looking at this. There were a bunch of mentions for Trump on the Iran deal, a couple on on a few other issues, but really it was mostly on immigration, and that makes sense. People trying to connect on a very emotional issue. I get that. But what we don't necessarily see is, and this is, I think, the, the format of the debates and, and how they come across in 60 seconds with 30-second replies and 10-second follow-ups to the follow-up, you don't get a chance to necessarily make an emotional impact. And I think even better than Senator Warren, the best person who did that tonight, again, Senator, uh, Secretary uh, Julian Castro, former Secretary Castro. Uh, before I go back to my notes, I want to look more at some of these. Um, so we did that one. Uh, Inslee, oddly compelling. Please discuss. I'll say th- there were there were two things about Inslee. I again, I said kind of neutral on Inslee. I think that he has this interesting presence. He has executive experience. He has some issues that he's been very aggressive about, and he, he mentioned a few of those uh, criminal justice reform, obviously the environment, which is, which is his uh, main, main concern. Um, I thought he was compelling, but I also wonder where is this issue going to go after he's no longer a going concern? That's my concern. There were other candidates who did better with the climate change issue than Jay Inslee did tonight. That's not great. Uh, I thought, again, and I'm not trying to, to, to focus on him too much, but just in terms of answering these questions as they're coming up, Castro had a better answer on climate change by talking about Puerto Rico, by mentioning that island, by talking about the nature of the disaster there and not doing it in a way that was explicitly uh, talking about Donald Trump, but certainly hammering the point home that Trump's actions as president were totally unacceptable. Um, and then Ben saying the benefit was we saw which candidates really belong. I think that's a perfect comment, Ben. And I want to, I'm going to put this on there. If you tell me who you think you would eliminate completely tonight, because I'm wondering now as we're as we're chiming in together on this, I'm wondering. I would say that that Delaney has like for me there was no chance that he would be 
if, if you were voting him off the island, I guess, I don't think that there would be any sense that he would be uh, that he, he would be welcomed back. And uh, this is a person saying that Tulsi Gabbard is an Assad apologist. That's also true. Um, so we can acknowledge that as well. Uh, I'll get back to some questions and answers in a moment because that is wonderful. And I forgot that this functionality existed, uh, but I'm glad that we're able to do it. And again, this is at the table. This is a podcast that I've been starting uh, this week, which is wonderful. And I'm so glad to have the opportunity to talk to you all. This is something that I have missed doing since uh, leaving Sirius XM, but also something that, frankly, I think is so crucial to have a conversation that's a little bit different um, and to, to be able to be real with you. Because I don't have the, 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 the shackles of being a White House correspondent anymore. And so there's, a, there's just a lot more fun by being able to call out the fact that John Delaney should go home. Uh, let's let's talk about a few other issues. You know, there was a responsibility to protect. Somebody mentioned this uh, earlier in the conversation. This was on Twitter. Responsibility to protect. Uh, you you probably heard it when Lester Holt did that awkward thing that moderators sometimes do, which is acknowledge a viewer question. I want to peel back the curtain a little bit because for people who I, I've worked in radio essentially my entire career, you do not play requests. You find the request that matches the thing that you wanted to play, and that's the song you play. The same thing with, and I'm sorry if that ruined Santa for you, uh, but the same thing when it comes to viewer questions. They definitely had a bunch of questions, and every time, if you remember during the Obama years, every time there would be one of these, it would be a when are we going to legalize marijuana question. I'm pretty sure that was in 80% of all viewer questions or YouTube questions or Twitter questions that, that former President Obama got. They asked about responsibility to protect you probably heard the question phrased as if there is genocide or some kind of uh crime against humanity on some part of the planet that doesn't reflect american core interests that's always the language used american core interests should americans respond um, the, the answers were mostly bad. Um, there were there were some people. I think uh, Beto O'Rourke said yes, but we have to do it with friends, allies, partners. Uh, Bill De Blasio said the War Powers Act, and he gave this gruesome story about his father's leg uh, getting blown up uh, in 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 war and how his dad uh, killed himself. Tragic story, but certainly one that didn't seem to answer responsibility to protect. Tim Ryan, uh, doing his level best to stay on the stage and awake, uh, said something about staying engaged. And this is where Tulsi Gabbard tripped him up with all that conversation about Afghanistan and the Taliban. Again, Tim Ryan, uh, if you're trying to remember um, uh, what happened at 9-11, just I mean, the, the the logo literally was never forget. So maybe you should you know, get a bumper sticker from the early aughts. Uh, and then Tulsi Gabbard uh, kind of mopped the floor with Tim Ryan by saying we need to bring troops home from Afghanistan. And again, as other people have mentioned in the Q&A, Assad apologist, but also some good points tonight. And I think if people, if you were watching it the way that the room I was watching it was watching it, just in terms of cosmetics there was a lot of discussion about who looked good who sounded good who has an attractive gray streak in her hair there was a lot of that conversation and that's the way most people are checking in at this point just because you and i are having this conversation that doesn't mean that the most the, the average american voter isn't still a friggin' idiot who doesn't want to engage on this and by the way 
God bless them for doing that because you shouldn't be engaged. You and I doing this right now is, an, is a system. It's a symptom of something deeply wrong with us that we are having this conversation. I'm so glad that you are part of it at the table. Um, one, one other comment about Delaney and Ryan. Obviously, they're out of their league. Absolutely. Um, de Blasio has to go. Um, uh, that's a comment from Julie. I... I thought he did better than I expected, and maybe that's – I don't know. I, I already said this, but maybe that's because his my expectations were so bargain basement low, but I genuinely thought he had a good night. Um, there were some moments that were a little off, but in general, I think he made himself known. He also did this thing that, that it's it's very <sighs> – this is a masculine thing that some people tend to do where they talk about um, – they, they try to insert themselves in the conversation in an aggressive way, in a way to try to at- attempt to uh, block other people out. De Blasio as, you know, I think, you know, uh, seven foot – 20 or whatever he is he he is both physically and rhetorically imposing at times even though policy wise i mean if you scratch the surface of what almost any of these candidates were saying tonight we're saying tonight you, you get almost nowhere i mean de blasio was trying to burnish his record on criminal justice reform meanwhile uh, you know you've got issues like eric garner's murderer you know getting away with things i mean there's there's a mixed record is what i'm trying to say um I want to let's see what what else was there. Um, There are a couple big themes that I want to talk with you about, and this is as we take a step back, as we have this moment, and I'm going to make sure that I make the the effort now to just push this out on Twitter again because I know that some people are not really uh, sure about this. This is something new that we're doing. I'm hoping that we're able to do it again tomorrow night because it's a lot of fun. But uh, this is a live show that I'm giving to you and we will put it on demand of course at the table you've already been seeing it on anchor.fm and we're going to have that on other podcast feeds as things come up but i i want to mention that we're doing this live just because it's different than anything that i've been able to do uh for a very long time so i'm glad to have that opportunity um let me just say two things one about questions about uh thank you very much by the way uh everyone can see it so i'm just gonna i mean it's just it's just you know we're gonna acknowledge it uh i've been getting i got some water actually actually i'm not even gonna use this i'm not even no forget this water i'm not gonna use this because i have this this water bottle this reusable water bottle which some of you will remember was confiscated at apex several years ago and if you remember that from instagram and twitter like four years ago you follow me too closely on Instagram and Twitter. But here's what I'll say about major themes. There were a couple I want there were three things. One was about pocketbook issues got absolutely crappy coverage tonight. Everyone was giving them in sound bites and there were no emphasis there was no emphasis on the emotional impact of those issues. We saw over and over again, like, I think the worst, the worst offender of this was Amy Klobuchar, Senator Klobuchar, who said that uh, economic opportunity for black and brown voters, that's going to be her legacy. That's why people should support her, despite the fact that this is obviously not her, uh, her uh, skin tone that, that she can reference. And I think it was Rachel Maddow who asked the question of Secretary, former Secretary Castro, is that enough? And he very politely didn't say, hell no. He, you know, instead had a, had a reasonable answer. 
But having that said, the, the the idea that you would just talk about pocketbook issues in this casual way, in this non-emotional way, is so unfulfilling to me. I had this over and over again. I was listening to this on, on, on NBC and thinking to myself, there are people who can't make their payments. There are people who have been underemployed. There are people who can't pay for their college loans or, or can't buy a house. There are people who are putting off having a family. Talk about their lives. Talk about their experiences instead of saying, uh, like a robot, that you're going to address pocketbook issues in the White House. Anyone, a high schooler, could come up with that kind of a line. And the idea that we weren't doing better on a debate stage in a presidential primary was mind-boggling to me. There was another thing about about what's willing to be unpopular. We heard on guns, for example, a lot of candidates bravely saying, I want to do what's unpopular. When it comes to climate change, Inslee and others saying, I want to do what's unpopular. But then when it comes to impeachment, because it's unpopular, because people in Iowa aren't asking John Delaney about it, we're suddenly not going to talk about impeachment. I think it is insane and and there was a lot of insider baseball if you paid attention to that moment there was a a real acknowledgement with uh with rachel maddow of delaney she said acknowledged she said that nancy pelosi knows what she's talking about when it comes to impeachment but the idea that you would let this go is so antithetical to where the democratic base is right now even if they're not concerned about it in iowa it's probably going to be a pretty big enthusiasm dampener if you can't f- hold the president accountable to the rule of law. I'm not saying that that's exactly what's going to happen, but that's my best guess. After seven, almost eight years as a White House reporter, I I can't imagine this kind of thing getting away and not being addressed. And yet when it comes to what was unpopular, guns, climate, Willing to do it. Impeachment. We only got a few minutes on it. The Mueller report was getting short shrift because of some uh, technical difficulties that were plaguing the NBC booth. Um, Those issues did not get as much time as I would have hoped, but the candidates also did not have a lot to say about it. And the last big theme that I want to talk about, the last big theme was emotional impact. I've started with this and I want to end with it. When we talk about immigration... We've all been seeing this, these images. We've been having debates about civility and whether or not it's reasonable to call things concentration camps. I think it's, that's a good conversation to have. But I don't love the fact that we can't address these things more concretely. I wish, I wish that we could have someone who's willing to say it is a tragedy that we are allowing this to happen. I wish when some of the candidates said, as they did, that it's antithetical to us as Americans, I wish we felt it. Maybe that's not necessary for you, but that's what I was wanting all night long when we were hearing this conversation. I just didn't feel it. And maybe that's because of the format. Maybe that's because we can't have deep emotional impact in 60 second sound bites. But when I looked at this tonight and I'm and I'm curious to what you think, uh I, I was a little disappointed 
the lack of emotion. I, I want the candidates to make me feel something. That's that's what politics should be, right? And and yet we just got so much less than that. I'm Jared Rizzi. This is At the Table, a new podcast that I'm putting together. We just watched together, you and me, this first DNC debate. And if you, like me, found it to be tedious and not exciting... That's where we are. Um, but we've got a long slog ahead of us. And frankly, one of the things that I want to keep in mind as we're doing this conversation together at the table is that participation isn't an option, that getting tired isn't an option, and that your enthusiasm can't be contingent on who looks good or sounds good in a moment. You've got to be ready to fight because that's what is required it's the bare minimum the, the, we are this is advanced citizenship and if the moment of donald trump does not get you activated in american politics i cannot imagine what it would take to get you off your damn couch and go down to the polls and vote or volunteer or god forbid actually do something you know beyond liking a tweet so my thoughts tonight, and I just want to end with this, is that this is a project that I'm doing that is relatively new. It is something different for me. I'm trying to do things differently than I've done them in other places. And I'm not going to name any names right now, but other places, other times, other circumstances, I want to make sure that when I'm having a conversation, if it's a panel conversation, I'm never having an all-male, all-straight, all-white dude panel. Because we can do better than that. I want to make sure that when we're talking about issues that I'm being vulnerable with you because if you're going to make a mistake of having a straight white dude have a political podcast in 2019, the least he can do is try to lance the boil of toxic masculinity, of nonsense that goes out there. The way that we are putting ourselves front and center is bad, and I want to fight that every step of the way. It has to change. And even though I'm doing this, despite the fact that, frankly, for about a year I didn't want to, and and that's not to say that I was kicking and screaming because, as you can tell, I enjoy every second of this. I'm doing – this isn't – the vulnerability is – let me put it this way. When I look at that photo of the two – in the river trying to get to Brownsville. I can't I can't look at that and not think about I, I'm the grandson of illegal immigrants. To uh, that's not by the way to try to compete with all the douchey things that were set up on the stage today as a father of daughters or whatever the hell people were saying tonight. I, my grandfather came here as an illegal immigrant. Nobody gave a damn. And, and the idea that we have changed so much in just one generation or two generations is insane to me. This conversation is different because I want to continue to be challenging myself to be better for you and to challenge you to be better for the need that we all have in this political moment. Before I wrap up, I'm going to just take one more look at some of the comments that are coming in because... I love the fact that we can do this, uh, and, and I love the fact that some of you have decided to chime in. Pathology, 
Uh, oh, Julie saying, we are the weirdos. We are the weirdos. And I'm so grateful for you for being a weirdo with me because, frankly, that's what this entire thing. Um, somebody saying, please don't dab. Oh, God. This is – I was dancing earlier. I'm not going to do it. No. I, no. Because I was just talking about how I'm going to be respectful uh, and, and not – you know, I, I'm, I'm going to embrace the fact that I'm a, a square white dude. And uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to close with one last thing, which is to say that this project uh, has been a labor of love for me and something that I've really wanted to work on for a long time, and it's been something that hasn't come easily. Uh, and the two people that are sitting next to me just out of frame, I want to thank David Ross, who has been the champion of this from the very beginning, who has said that he has believed in me even when I didn't. Uh, and and for those of you who want to talk about mental health, I'm going to make sure to talk about David in another context because – not because you're crazy, although I could see why you would have thought that's where I was going. That's not what I was doing. I, it was funnier than I was thinking, but that's not what I was doing. I no, 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 we, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. When I when I had a moment a, a long time ago, about a year ago where I was where I was about as low as I've ever been, David was the one who believed in me. So I want to thank him for being here tonight and being a part of this production. And Alana Morris, who's our intern, believe it or not, this production is uh, important enough to have one. She's uh, a student at the University of Maryland, and she has been integral to every aspect of this and making sure it's a success so thanks to both of them thanks to you for listening for watching i i've never danced for anyone before other than i guess well i mean everyone that i've ever dated but not for you people uh and uh we're gonna do more of this we're gonna do it again tomorrow night and we're going to continue to have this conversation it's not always going to be about the news of the day sometimes it's going to be about uh different things that are going on and and reactions to them but we're going to try to find a way to do this that's uh that's good and that that makes a difference and i hope you'll join me at the table i'm jared rizzi have a great night